Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alright, cast your minds back. Arsenal are still invincible. The special one has beached on English shores. Manchester United are just existing. And we've got one hell of a relegation race on, or at least one hell of a final day. Yes, we're back with another Premier League season review with the Barclays. And we're going to back to 2004 for the 2004-05 season. Let's get stuck in. Let's start with Paul Sturrock. Who remembers him? Anybody? Plymouth fans might, because he, of course, left Plymouth for Southampton and the big time. He pulled Southampton clear of relegation late on in the prior season after... A wonderful couple of years for the Saints under Gordon Strachan. But here, after four games, he's gone. Resigned because he felt as though he didn't have the dressing room. And uh, that combined with a pretty poor start of it on the pitch as well. And Southampton were chasing another manager. Steve Wigley, remember him? Um, I honestly can't remember um, in in. In total honesty, uh, he wins one game before he's gone, and it is the most important game to be fair. Portsmouth at home in the big derby. So, therefore, Harry Redknapp, South Coast legend, of course, previous stints at Portsmouth and did such a fine job with them, let's not forget, and of course, Bournemouth back in the day. And he, of course, signs his son, Jamie, because why not? He attempts to bring in plenty of players like Sir Olivier Bernard. No recollection whatsoever of uh, him at Southampton. You've got Nigel Quashie, you've got Callum Davenport as well. But unfortunately, Southampton's form doesn't pick up. Still, four wins for Redknapp compared to one each for, for Wigley and uh, Sturrock. The final three games... Southampton look fairly doomed. They, crucially, though, they have Norwich and Crystal Palace to play, two teams who, of course, are in that relegation dogfight there alongside with them. A late winner from Henry Kamara against Norwich. Danny Higginbottom's last-minute equaliser against Palace. 
is just keeping Southampton afloat with a chance on the final match day, keeping them in with a shout. They've got Manchester United to play on the final day who are fighting for nothing come the end of the season, so potentially could be the perfect the perfect opponent for Southampton, but we will we'll come to the final day um, later on because we've got to uh, wrap up the other the other three relegation contenders because essentially we have here four teams in the final day. Of course, the greatest final day in the history of the Premier League. Four teams fighting for one survival place. Could you imagine it? Could you imagine Sky's vehicle getting hold of this in 2022? Or rather 2023. Anyway, Norwich. Hard start for Nigel Worthington. They had the likes of Man United, Newcastle, Arsenal, Tottenham, Liverpool all before October. And uh, to be fair to Norwich, they don't lose to a team that finish outside the top five until November the 13th. There's a lot of draws in there. Obviously, something that we've spoken of prior that's whilst if you can't win, drawing quite a lot of games does help sometimes. And uh, 4-0 loss at at Charlton. A 4-0 loss at Charlton followed up finally with a first win over Southampton. Gets Norwich on the board. And uh, despite just the one win from this time, Norwich are above the dotted line because of all those draws. Unfortunately, the draws seem to dissipate. The Norwich just disintegrated after November. Only two draws between November and April. So we're talking six months in there and two wins. 3-2. So they can find the net on occasion, but obviously the the problem is the leaky defence. And uh, wins over Bolton and West Brom is eight points from from five or six months, which, um, of course, by this point, firmly rooted to the bottom of the table. And then something just flicks a switch in Norwich's head. They get going, famous win over Manchester United at Carrow Road. you got wins over Newcastle and Charlton, a 3-3 draw over Crystal Palace in and amongst, and, of course, that 4-3 loss. Thanks to Henri Kamara at St Mary's. Thankfully, though, Dean Ashton, fantastic season, um, akin to a play we'll talk about in a minute as well for Crystal Palace. Scores a penalty at home to Birmingham to take Norwich into the driving seats ahead of the final day. They are 17th. They are in that survival spot that everybody wants with Fulham to come. So another team who are, whilst of course not of the same quality of Manchester United, similarly don't have anything to play for. So therefore, potentially another good opponent for a team chasing survival. So next we have to talk about Crystal Palace and, well, to be fair, I want to talk about their iconic goalkeeping duo of Julian Spironi and Gabor Karaya. Of course, Spironi is a a local hero at the club. These days played so many hundreds of games for them. Gabor Karaya, the uh, pyjama man himself, uh, really superb shot-stopper, reactionary goalkeeper as well. Um, people tend to think, forget about uh, Nicola Ventola signed on loan as well. <laughs> from uh, spent quite a lot of time at the San Siro of Inter Milan, also madness. But I, I think it's um, wise discussing this Crystal Palace team to go through the team by Premier League goals, and uh, we'll see if we can see how they are even able to be in with a shout of Premier League survival come the come the end of the season. So with one goal, we've got Mark Hudson, we've got Dougie Friedman, Mikel Ledgetwood, we've got Darren Powell, Nicola Ventola, of course, 
Two goals for Michael Hughes, Fitz Hall. Three goals for Jonas Kolka, for Danny Granville. Four goals for Aki Rihalati and Crystal Palace's top scorer, Andy Johnson, with 21 goals. So that's why Crystal Palace are in a bit of a mess. But of course, Andy Johnson's goals there, 21 of them compared to Aki Rihalati's four the only reason why they're even in with a shout of uh, survival. 33 points they've gained prior to the uh, prior to the end of the season. And we, we'll, we'll count the ones that they were that earned solely by Andy Johnson. So we've got wins at Birmingham, at home to Aston Villa, at home to Birmingham, again at home to Liverpool, all gained because of Andy Johnson. You've got draws that were gained on the road to Norwich, Villa, Southampton, Tottenham, West Brom and Charlton, as well as at home to Norwich. So essentially, Andy Johnson's goals, just solely his goals, no assists or anything like that, um, 15 points. So he's gained pretty much half of Crystal Palace's points. You would have thought it would have been a bit more, but um, anyway. Ian Dowie termed the phrase bounce-back ability as Palace lurched from winless runs to collecting a couple of uh, victories and draws. The epitome, really, of a very streaky team. They were still in the fight for survival down to the final day and joined our fourth and final team, Wes Bromwich Albion, who had uh, similar scoring records to Palace scoring and conceding. Robert Earnshaw this time managing half the goals. Zoltan Geary did pick up some of the slack. Um, one of the true shining lights in uh, the Baggies season. They had, compared to the others, obviously, um, they'd already had a season in the uh, top flights. Obviously, an advantage that weren't that wasn't handed to Norwich and Crystal Palace. Of course, Southampton mainstays by this point. But whereas Brom had spent comparatively big Zoltan Gira, Robert Earnshaw, the two key players for me anyway, and you've got Kanu in there, Jonathan Greening as well. Gary Megson was gone with just one win under his belt and it left the new manager with quite the baptism of fire. Brian Robson handed Arsenal, Manchester United, Liverpool in his first six weeks and he wouldn't win in the Premier League until January the 22nd, which is almost three months into his reign. And by this point, with that win, it's very obvious that these four teams cut adrift. Blackburn have 25 points in 16th place. You've got to go then down to seven seven points to Palace, who are in 17th place. And in the in the relegations are Norwich on 16, Southampton on 15, and West Brom five points adrift in 20th. So when people discuss the greatest of escapes, for me, West Brom. It's a little spoiler. Yes, they do escape. In terms of points, it's not. I don't think they've had the biggest job to do. In terms of position, obviously going from bottom to to uh, safety with a two 0 win over Portsmouth on the final day. Yes, that's obviously the most dramatic, and it, it was a, a frightening bit of luck, really, that Southampton lost two one to Manchester United thanks to. Uh, Darren Fletcher and Ruud van Nistelrooy scoring for United. Norwich got eviscerated 6-0 early on, so they were easily out of it. Um, and then Palace fell to a very, very late Jonathan Fortune goal. Courtesy of their nearest rivals as well, geographically, Charlton Athletic. So all that, plus goals from Kieran Richardson, Jeff Horsfield for West Brom, jumps them up from 20th to 17th. But in terms of points, it doesn't match just plucking a name out of thin air that we'll be discussing in the coming weeks. 
West Ham United of 2007, perhaps even Fulham the year after. I mean, you look at also Leicester City 2015 as well. Obviously, the remarkable thing about that was what happened afterwards. Um, Aston Villa 2020 as well. We have seen teams that had dredged themselves out of the relegation zone. Most famously, Everton 1994. Bradford did it in 2000 as well. Coventry went from second bottom to survival. So it's not as if um, teams haven't leapfrogged multiple teams to get out of the uh, out of uh, the uh, relegation zone. But West Brom doing it from 20th to 17th. Yes, of course, on the final day with all four still having a, something to fight for is quite remarkable. And that's why it probably does remain the most... Uh, Famous, at least in terms of Premier League era, for me anyway. So we'll check out the mid-table now. Portsmouth, for the circumstances of the season, with Harry Redknapp, of course, leaving for local rivals. Milan Mandaric, um in fighting with him. 16th place was quite a good finish for them, really. Blackburn, Sooness had taken Blackburn Rovers as far as possible. Mark Hughes stabilised them in the second half of the season, and Graeme Sooness then succeeded Sir Bobby Robson in August in uh, at St. James's Park, I had to deal with the uh, the famous Kieran Dyer-Liboya fight and um, a poor second half of the season after the uh, honeymoon results that uh, helped pull Newcastle clear. Fulham missed Luis Sahar, of course, signed for Manchester United the prior January, but the likes of uh, Thomas Radzinski signed from Everton and Andy Cole covered his goals safe again, relatively safe, never been really in a dogfight before, despite being a relatively small club in the Premier League around this time. Birmingham City spent quite well on Emil Heskey, £6 million to uh, bring him to St Andrews. Good Christmas spell pulls them to uh, to mid-table. Charlton Athletics suffered yet again from bad form at the end of the season, taking just four points from the final 11 games, which is the glass ceiling that stops the addicts from going to, uh, going to Europe, as it had done a couple of times, really. And uh, Aston Villa, Nobby Solana's their Premier League top goal scorer. Loki again, David O'Leary still in charge and uh, just hovering around there in uh, in tenth place. Jack Santini experiment at White Hart Lane didn't last long either. Martin Yol was in great start, good finish, murky middle, and uh, Spurs quite uh, quite rightly finished ninth. Perhaps a good foundation for time to come. More on that, of course with the 2005-06 season review. And after this short break, we've got more to discuss with the top eight Europe, the title race, Arsenal. Let's stick around, shall we? Welcome back. So, Manchester City, Europe seemed... Very, very distant when Kevin Keegan left. Then Stuart Pearce came to the fold. Middlesbrough, their final opponents. Middlesbrough needed a point to uh, qualify for the UEFA Cup. Man City needed all three. For some reason, it's the game probably most famous for. Despite quite a lot being on the line, Man City hadn't been in Europe at this point for quite some time. And we've obviously the, the sparkling new stadium that you know, that would become known as the Etihad Stadium to bring European football to that and, you know, a bit of a £20 million match scenario, I guess, or the £2 million match, I guess. All you have to do is beat the opponents in front of you and for some reason David James is substituted um, as an outfield player and all that garbage. 
I don't know if it was just take was it taken seriously for Man City around this time being in the UEFA Cup would have been a huge deal and you've got strikers on the bench who aren't getting on when City need a goal when it's 1-1 just ludicrous um, really Middlesbrough themselves they've been in the UEFA Cup last 16 still juggled that with uh, with 17th with 7th place rather uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank banging in the goals and uh, they're Biggest time in Europe is still to come the following season. That is courtesy of that Man City Borough 1-1 result. Such a sliding doors moment that I think does get slept on really. But uh, Man City Middlesbrough, one of the more important games in Premier League history um, outside of uh, relegation and title winning um, games, of course. And above Borough, above Man City... The usual, by this point anyway, Bolton Wanderers. El Hajjouf was in, did some great work. Of course, Sam Allardyce, still the manager and probably the catalyst for Bolton being so great. Superb start, sagged a little bit in the middle, but started the uh, the new year well. And really, this was the time for Bolton to qualify for the Champions League, which speaking that sentence in 2022 sounds absolutely ludicrous, doesn't it really? I, I should get sectioned for that. But 17 years ago, Bolton were, I would say, probably the fourth best team in the Premier League. They just completely obliterated their Champions League hopes. One win from the final five. And this is really the time now, 2005-06, to kick on. But we'll see as we move through the next few years with the establishment of the top four with Rafael Benitez at Liverpool getting his foot under the door, foot in the door. The, the window was shut and the 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 team building that Allardyce needed to do with signings, it would become increasingly more difficult to do. And that's why, obviously, we would see the end of him very shortly. But that's for another episode, of course. Liverpool, it was a remarkable season, but obviously their Premier League form was put on the back burner for the uh, for the Champions League. And of course, when, when a, a big team, but obviously a big team by reputation, in terms of how good the team was quality-wise, obviously Rafael Benitez brought in plenty of players like Xabi Alonso, Luis Garcia to spice things up a little bit. Um, when you are not like one of the elite of the elite in terms of quality in Europe, if you are to win that trophy, then something has to give. And it, obviously for Liverpool, it was it was their league form finishing fifth with less than 60 points, which was... If we look at the coming seasons, unthinkable really that they could do it. But of course, it's a, a necessary sacrifice. I think Liverpool fans would have taken 17th place um, in this season to win the Champions League because of the entire story about it. It'd been 20 years since they'd been to a European Cup final, so easily would have would have finished. And it almost didn't matter, especially when you're taking on the likes of Juventus and uh, Chelsea and Milan in the latter stages, and they just. Games against, no offence, Charlton and Norwich um, become less important, obviously, when you're gunning for a, for a Champions League, which was their fifth, so they get to keep the trophy. Meanwhile, across Merseyside, it inadvertently opened the door for the Toffees to bank fourth and secure the Champions League spots. Of course, this was a season that marked the departure of Wayne Rooney leaving the club, but still with that £30 million transfer, Everton can't get over the line in terms of a transfer until January with James Beattie. And even then, Everton's positive net spend, they could never really 
put that money back into the starting lineup. They could never splurge tons of cash, a bit like what they have done in the previous five years, as I speak to you now. Because it just wasn't there. It was just wholly reliant on diamonds in the rough like Rooney or superb management from David Moyes, which we would see more and more of as they were probably the most gravest threat to the top four as we see really 2005-6 I would say is the beginning of the top four the big four Liverpool, Manchester United uh, Chelsea and Arsenal Everton were front and centre in that race of course we'll discuss another contender next time round with uh, two very different rivals going for that fourth and final spot but with minus one goal difference, only 45 goals scored, three more than relegated Crystal Palace, for example, and 61 points in fourth. Everton really were helped by Liverpool's Champions League run, if, say, Liverpool... If Steven Jad didn't score that goal against Olympiacos, Everton would finish fifth by by quite some distance. And um, it does go to show, or rather illuminate, what would happen to Everton in the Champions League qualifiers the following season when they're putting with the big boys like... Villarreal, etc. So for the top three we go, and it is the same story as the prior season, Manchester United, Arsenal and Chelsea only this time. Roles are reversed. But for Manchester United, it's third place again, and we are really in the, uh, what I would, um, as a Man United fan, see as the doldrums here, third. <laughs> how how little we knew how low this, the floor could go in terms of uh, Manchester United disappointments. It was a season for United hampered by Ruud van Nistelrooy's injury. You've still got Cristiano Ronaldo, who st- I think he's still a teenager, if not he's 20. And then you've got Wayne Rooney, a teenager, just coming into the club as well. Luis Aha on the fringes too. They'd only won three matches prior to the ending of Arsenal's Invincibles run. 49 matches with the uh, the famous 2-0 victory thanks to... Uh, Wayne Rooney taking a tumble, Van Nistelrooy's penalty and Rooney scoring the second one in October and probably one of the more cathartic wins for United around this time because they had little else to uh, shout about. Of course, FA Cup winners the prior year. This would be a trophy, a trophyless season for them. But uh, between losses against Portsmouth in October, Norwich in early May, they did threaten an outside chance, but it never really looked likely. It was a bit... Um, bit inconsistent in terms of uh, performances on the pitch. And that's, to be fair, it's fair enough considering the players that uh, United had at the time. They didn't have uh, enough players for me in that sort of middle, in that absolute peak. You've got Skulls, Giggs about to exit their peak. Obviously Beckham's long gone. Um, Roy Keane's about to leave the club. Little did we know then. And then they're obviously at the back end. And then it's Wayne Rooney, Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, you could say Rio Ferdinand's in the in the in his peak period, but very little else for me, and uh, still not uh, solved, still not secured a replacement for Peter Schmeichel, and uh, he ret- well he left Man United in 1999. So that's probably the main reasons why Manchester United so far off the pace. The likes of Arsenal, who are still unbeaten, and Thierry Henry, very much one of those players in his peak, in his pomp in his uh, magnificent form. They only dropped two points prior to that defeat at Old Trafford, but then after going so long invincible, it's only it's only natural that there's a bit of a wobble afterwards. One win in six Premier League games, and uh, that ultimately proved 
terminal to their title hopes. But at times, though, Perez, Lundberg, Henri, still at their absolute best. It's just who they were playing against, who who their title rivals were. There was just no real chance for them to to win the to win the uh, the title. They do get suckered into their tumultuous rival with Manchester United, which does fizzle out. I think in the uh, the coming season with uh, obviously Vieira leaves at the end of this season last kick of the game last kick of his career for Arsenal is uh, the FA Cup final win over United again and then with Keane leaving it's sort of those two f- cornerstones of either club them leaving the win does take get taken out of the rivalry and obviously you've got the uh, the dominant uh, team in England at that time with neither Arsenal nor Manchester United and without geography to to fall back on like so many rivalries do when it's a bit one-sided like your Liverpool, Everton's, Arsenal, Tottenham they didn't have that to fall back on so I think the the last real Arsenal-Manchester United heated game was the 4-2 February the 1st 2005 Keenan Vieira in the tunnel it would be their last um, league game facing off against one another and um, Arsenal's end of season after losing Twice to Man United probably does kill their season off, really. But um, they do need to win at the at the bridge, at Stamford Bridge on April the 20th. But they come up against the Chelsea team, utterly dominant. Jose Mourinho's in. He moulds the club in his image almost immediately. Of course, that's well lubricated by the many, many millions of Roman Abramovich and uh, the likes of Paulo Ferreira. Ricardo Carvalho follow him from Porto. You've got likes of Didier Drogba, Petr Cech, who come on to be club legends. Mieta um, Kesman, Ian Robin, the uh, combination from uh, PSV are also in. And uh, even the, the starts of the uh, selling the players that were brought in the previous year, like Juan Saber Veron, they're already getting chucked out. And you've got the likes of Hasselbank, Desai, big cornerstones of the club being shifted on and moving on. But at no real sacrifice to Chelsea, broke records, all the good records you want to break, Chelsea broke in this season. The points record, that tumbled, 95 points Chelsea got, 15 goals conceded, that's definitely a record, three less than Arsenal in 1999, I believe. And that is why I often say that this Chelsea season, for me, Obviously, it's Mourinho football, it's pragmatic is the uh, euphemism you use to term defensive football. But for me, it's it's more impressive than the invincible season the prior year. Chelsea only weren't invincible because of a sloppy 1-0 defeat, because of a penalty in in the early part of the season against Manchester City. So really, those are the fine margins. If that penalty gets saved... Chelsea are undefeated for the for the rest of the season and it is for Chelsea really the the performances match the results when Mourinho does a little bit of tactical tweak and he did want to use a diamond that he'd used at Porto but he does ditch that in favour of a 4-3-3 which allows Claude Makélélé to be more of the uh, the pivot midfielder and it really it unlocks Frank Lampard I guess is the term you'd use now to be that arriving late, the, the sort of midfielder that blurs the lines between an 8 and a 10, and uh, he would assist 18 times, score 13 goals in the Premier League alone, and uh, really him, Didier Drogba, of course, who he, 
He didn't have his best season at Chelsea, obviously, but um, just being eased into the club, you got John Terry, you got Petr Cech as well, probably more pertinently those two in the back line. You've got an incredible spine, and that is why you see Chelsea, even after Mourinho's gone, be this juggernaut because they have got this established spine, obviously John Terry and Frank Lampard, the pre-Abramovich signings or incomings, and then the, uh, the the players that really take them onto another level. And of course, Mourinho took Chelsea onto a level that uh, they would never really reach, at least domestically anyway. Of course, it's probably one of the big shames that Mourinho wasn't the man to lift the Champions League, if you're of a Chelsea persuasion, I guess, because that would have been the romantic ending. And a Champions League semi-final in this season, again, following on from Ranieri's, the prior year is uh, Chelsea getting nearer and nearer and nearer to that Champions League title that, of course, would be another seven years in the making and several, several managers in the making too. And obviously, it's the League Cup, the Premier League, um, almost a treble with the Champions League, but uh, can't win them all, unfortunately. But to me, Jose Mourinho, Chelsea 2005 remains one of the greatest Premier League seasons Probably controversial to say that it's better than the Invincibles just purely because of one less, one more number in the L column than Arsenal, which for me is quite frankly ridiculous. But I think for me it is is probably only dwarfed by, only dwarfed by Manchester City's domestic treble or 100 points. I mean, you could both meld them together, couldn't you really? Um, perhaps Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool of 2020, although I'm still yet undecided on that, and uh, probably Manchester United's treble. They're in the sort of Mount Rushmore of Premier League seasons, I guess you could call it anyway. Having celebrated that, we'll probably be back to talk about Mourinho and Chelsea in another Premier League title very soon when we return for another Premier League season review for the 2005-06 season coming very soon on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hope you join us for that. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, silly. Network.